sheath your sword and find Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Matthew 5, verse 6. There were some, in the 19th century, group of Americans who were traveling to London. Anybody been to London? Yes, yeah, one place I hadn't been yet that I really want to go. Been to London. So they were going in 19th century, going to London. Some friends of theirs were excited. They were getting an opportunity to go. And so they, they asked them, they said, hey, or they challenged them. They said, hey, we want you when you're in London to go listen to two famous preachers and come back and bring us a report. And so they agreed to do so. And the first Sunday they were there in London, they went to Joseph Parker's church. And upon hearing uh, Parker preach... Uh, They were mesmerized by his giftedness, and when they left, one of them said, it must be said, there is no doubt that Joseph Parker is the greatest preacher that there ever was. Made Made a solid impression on them. The next Sunday, they wanted to go back to Joseph Parker's church. They enjoyed it so much, but they remembered they made that promise to go see two famous preachers, so they went to the Metropolitan Tabernacle to hear Dr. Charles Spurgeon preach. And after they heard Spurgeon, they were really unprepared for what they heard. And after they heard Spurgeon preach, one of them said, It must be said, there is no doubt that Jesus Christ is the greatest Savior there ever was. Matthew 5 Matthew 6, Matthew 7, is a sermon from the lips of our Lord. And in the first part of this sermon, Matthew 5, the first 12 verses, uh, we have what we know to be the Beatitudes. And in these Beatitudes, what Jesus is doing is he's giving us the DNA of a disciple. What does a follower of Christ look like? And so the first three Beatitudes, we've already looked at them. Blessed are the, those, uh, the poor in spirit, those who mourn the meek. Jesus is identifying his disciples as those who stay humble. Somebody say stay humble. Somebody say stay low. Yes, yeah, stay low. And Beatitude number six, we'll get to in a few weeks. Uh, Jesus identified his disciples as those who stay holy. Somebody say stay holy. Today, Beatitude number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Jesus is identifying his disciples as those who stay hungry. Somebody say, stay hungry. So today I want to speak to you on the subject, happy are the hungry. Now you heard that, right? I know you're scratching your head saying, what happy are the hungry? What? Yeah, I didn't say hangry are the hungry, right? The hungry has been known to be hangry. We had, what, 33 students involved in 30-hour famine, this weekend, I believe Matthew and some of our other students could probably tell you a little something about being hungry after being without food for 30 hours. Did you have an appetite for food around hour 15, hour 8? For me, it'd be hour 2 or 3. <laughs> hour 24, I know you're having an appetite for hunger, right? We know a little something. We can connect on some level when Jesus says blessed when Jesus says hunger and thirst. Now, happy are the hungry? Oh, what does that mean? It kind of sounds like full or the empty. Wait a minute. What does that mean? Or satisfied or the dissatisfied. Or Panera bread is perishing bread. Like it's perish bread. Or as we say in South Mississippi, uh, ne'er one bread. That's Panera bread. Ne'er one bread. Every t- when I, 
Panera Bread's the only restaurant I can go eat at. And the food's great. I like it. Only place I can go eat, and I can sit down and eat salad, soup, sam, doesn't matter. When I get up and leave, I'm hungrier than when I arrived. <laughs> only one that does that. Only one. Right, so Panera Bread is perishing bread. Right, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but Jesus is saying here, happy are those who hunger. Happy are the hungry. Now, what is it that Jesus is referring to? Is he referring to an appetite for food, like a physical hunger, like many of our students experienced over 30-hour famine this weekend? Or is he referring to like some technology, an appetite for technology? I was having lunch with a friend of mine this week, and we were talking about this ultra-digital age that we live in, and how do we raise our children and students in this ultra-digital age? And he asked me a question. He said, hey, do you remember when we used to have to pay for minutes on our cell phone? Anybody remember those days when you got something you had to pay for? And then do you remember when those cell companies introduced to us the phenomenon known as free weekends? You remember that? Hey, call me Friday at 7, it's free. Don't call me right now. Call me Friday at 7, it's free. And we got free nights and weekends. So we thought we were big time. And today, these little devices that we carry around, these smartphones, they're a TV, they're a radio, they're a GPS system, a live stream device, maps. I mean, they're... they're uh, there's hardly anything that these little boxes cannot do, and yet we're not satisfied with them. Do you know the first generation smartphone came out only 13 years ago, like 2007? Do you know that? You, you, try, giving, you try giving somebody a first generation smartphone today, they'll be insulted. How dare you insult me that way? I can't use this archaic device. It's 13 years old. Why do we think that way? Because there's more generations have come out and it's newer and brighter and shinier and flashier and smarter apparently. Why? Because we're hungry and we're thirsting. So, but is Jesus talking here about technology? Probably not. Is he talking here about hunger? Well, in the physical sense, probably not. But what is he talking about? So let's look at it together. Matthew 5 verse 6. If you're there, say I'm there. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what, church? Hmm. Righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Father, we, we pray this morning that... We, we don't want to come to this text with any presumptions or assumptions or presuppositions. We, we don't want to approach this text from our own context. God, I pray we'll approach it from the context of the day that we'll tap in, Holy Spirit, to the first century when Jesus spoke these words and the audience he was speaking to and the timeless truth and principles that we can walk away with this text today, God. Ultimately, I, I pray, my prayer is that you would make us hungry and thirsty for you. And I know you've already done that, but I guess my prayer is then, would you make us aware of the fact that we are hungering and thirsting for you? Uh, for something that's not of this world. God, would you help us today? In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, our takeaway for the day, if sermon in a sentence, if you will, is simply this. You never go wrong when you long for righteousness. You never go wrong. When you long for righteousness. That's our takeaway today. Matthew 5 verse 6. It has been said of what Jesus said. That this is the most demanding. 
the most frightening, and in its own way, the most comforting beatitude of them all. One has said to hunger and thirst for righteousness simply means that we crave fellowship with God above everything else. Above everything else. Like we crave, long, hunger for fellowship with God above everything else. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to make several observations this morning, three of them, in fact, based, uh, well, from this beatitude. Number one is this, all of us have hungry hearts. I probably don't have to convince you that you have a hungry stomach. Can I get an amen? Anybody? I don't, probably, have, don't, probably wouldn't try too hard to convince you of that. But maybe today you're not aware of the fact that your heart is hungry. All of us have hungry hearts. Jesus uses a word here for hunger that means to be in a state of hunger. But it also means uh, to be hungry for. So not only to be in a state of hunger, but to be hungry for something. To desire strongly something or someone. That's the word he uses here. The word for thirst here means to long for. It means to uh, be passionately longing for a spiritual good. Now, I believe that all of us on some level can connect here, relate here to hunger and thirst, right? For example, three old men were walking on a windy beach. Now, when you hear a statement like that, you know what's coming. You know a lame joke is coming, right? You know that, and you'd be right. It's a lame joke. It's not as lame as this joke. There was a priest, a monk, and a rabbit that went fishing. And the rabbit said, I think I'm a typo. Now, it'll take you a minute to get that. The rabbit's supposed to be rabbi. You know, get, no, I know it's lame. I know that's lame. This, the three old men on the beach is even lamer. So three old men walking on a windy beach, and one, the first old man said to the second one, it's windy today, and the second one said, no, it's not Wednesday today, it's Thursday today. And the third one said, I'm thirsty too, let's go get something to drink. So we all on some level can understand being hungry or thirsting for something. You come to my house right now, there's a light on in my house that stays on all the time. And I'm not talking about lamps. We've got lamps that stay on all the time. I hate lamp. They're on all the time. I'm not talking about lamps. I'm talking about another light in our house that stays on all the time. You go to my house right now, I guarantee you the light is on. It's the light in our food pantry. It's on all the time. There's constant traffic in and out of the food pantry. And I'm not, I don't even have any boys in my house. And it's constant traffic. Well, we all understand a little bit about being hungry and thirsty, but I don't think we do on the level that Jesus is talking to here, to his audience. You have to understand, in the first century, a day laborer, a daily wage was three pennies per day and you can do all the inflation you want to do nobody's getting fat on three pennies a day nobody a day laborer in Jesus day they only ate meat about once a week not because they were vegan or vegetarian they couldn't afford it they just didn't eat it so they constantly like one meal a day they constantly lived on this borderline did a day labor in Jesus's day of starvation literally so when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, I promise you, ears would have perked up. Say, wait, what, what, what's that? Come again? Blessed, happy are we who are hungry and thirsting. So again, hungry stomachs, we all get that. 
we've always had hungry stomachs. They'll always be here. It's always been a world issue. Number one health risk in the world today is hunger. It kills more people than AIDS, malaria, tuberculosis combined. 925 million people don't have enough to eat. One out of seven people will go to bed hungry tonight. The amount of money we Americans spend on tortilla chips could feed 90% of the hungry in our world. Hunger has always been an issue worldwide, and it will continue to be an issue. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. Always. That's not going to change. At the same time, we need to understand that not only do we all have hungry stomachs, and it's a worldwide issue, but we have hungry hearts, and it's a worldwide issue. It's been an issue from the beginning. King Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes 3.11, For he, God, has put eternity into man's heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put eternity into man's heart. Meaning what? That God has put a hole in your heart. God has made you hungry. Hungry for him. Now you might not be aware of that. Right? At some point in your brokenness, you come to a place that said, Hey, all this stuff I'm trying to do and, 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 and use to fix my brokenness is not working. And you realize, hey, I'm not hungry for all this stuff the world can offer. I'm actually hungry for the creator who created the hunger in me anyway. And so when we think about the hunger in our, our hearts, we have a hole in our hearts. It's a big hole. I mean, it's B to the I to the G. It's a big hole in our heart. It's bigger than Biggie Smalls. This is a big hole. Think about a bucket. You got a bucket, you fill it with water, enough water to, for, for a family of four to, da- to use daily. That, that bucket would be as big as the, a bed of a pickup truck. If you think about the hole in our heart that God has put there, think about taking the Atlantic Ocean and putting it in a bucket. And the bucket being so big that all the water from the Atlantic Ocean is not enough to cover the surface area of the bottom of the bucket. That's how big the hole in our heart is. Well, another question you might think, what is the shape of this bucket, right? I mean, many of you know that the dollar, (laughs) our heart is not in the shape of a dollar, that the almighty dollar cannot satisfy us, right? You know that the the hole in your heart is not in the shape of religion. It's not in the shape of the approval of man. It's not in the shape of relationships with other people. It's not in the shape of ministry. It's not in the shape of service. It's not in the shape of education or knowledge or alcohol or drugs. You know this because you've tried it all and you're still empty and you're still hungry and you're not satisfied. You know this. So who put it there? God put it there. And who can satisfy? God can satisfy. We all have hungry hearts. Jesus said, man should not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. So, as we begin, one thing we need, one observation we better make before we go any further is that we all have hungry hearts. Amen? All of us do. We all have hungry hearts. Here's a second observation that we must make if we're going to embrace this beatitude. Number two, some of us seek righteousness. Not all of us, but some of us. Again, Jesus uses a word here, blessed are those, not blessed is everybody. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be saved. So it's a certain group of people. 
It's the people who are seeking righteousness. So not everybody seeks righteousness. Some people do, but not everybody. So some of us in this room today, watching via a television, who have uh, live streaming with us or on Facebook Live, some of us are seeking righteousness, but not all of us. Jesus uses an interesting construction here in the Greek. You may not see it in your English translation, but the article the is in front of righteousness. So it is the righteousness. It's not any and every justice or righteousness. It is the righteousness that Paul describes this way. Here's how Paul describes this righteousness. He says there's a righteousness of God apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That is the righteousness Jesus is referring to here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for being in a right relationship with God, for being put right with God. Hunger and thirst to those who want to grow in that righteousness. See, righteousness is not some spiritual supplement that you add to your spiritual diet. Righteousness is a necessity. It's a spiritual necessity. We can no more live spiritually without righteousness than we can live physically without food and water. It's not going to happen. So Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Some of us seek righteousness we have to be like the prodigal remember the story I know there were two prodigals in the in the prodigal son there was the younger and the older but you remember what the younger one did when he was hungry he ate with the pigs you remember that but when he was starving he went back to his father so we've got to get to a place where we're starving for this righteousness hunger and thirsting for it knowing it can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's be clear about what we're to hunger and thirst for. Let's be clear about that. We're not to hunger and thirst for rain. Anybody hungry for a little more rain this month? Anybody want a little more rain this month? Anybody? We've had a good bit of it. Right? Maybe in a few months when it's drier, maybe you'll want some rain then, but we're okay on rain right now, right? We're not to hunger and thirst for rain. We're not to hunger and thirst for recognition among our peers. We're not to hunger and thirst for religion. We're not to hunger and thirst for resources or retaliation or revenge. We're not to hunger and thirst for romance or rituals or riches or rights or to be right. We're to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. For those far from God, that means you need to hunger and thirst to know God personally come into a relationship with him. For those of you already in a relationship with him, you need to hunger and thirst to know him more. That's why Paul says, I count everything as a loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul knew him, but he wanted to know him more. He sought righteousness. He hungered for it. He thirsted for it. He longed for it. He craved it. Just read the New Testament. Oh, how he craved to know him more. So be clear. We're thirsting and hungry for righteousness. You got it, church? Here's another question. Is righteousness more about doing something right or being right? Is righteousness more about doing or being? Well, it's both and. It's both and. It starts with being, however. In fact, there are several places in this sermon that Jesus mentions righteousness. Take your Bible. Go to Matthew 5, verse 10. Just down from verse 6. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are to hunger and thirst for a kind of life that will cause some people to persecute us for our faith. That's how we're desired to live. So living the Christian life is living in a way that distinguishes us, disciples, true disciples, and invites opposition from the world. Now, it's more than, but not less than, doing right. A follower of Jesus is being right, right? We're human beings before we're human doings, amen? Being right with God only comes through faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, in Him alone. So, we are to be righteousness because we are in Christ. Number three, here's another good question. How much righteousness is required? Boy, that's a good question. Take your Bibles, go to Matthew 5, verse 20. Look at verse 20 in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus again uses this word righteousness. Matthew 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your what? What? Yes, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So how much righteousness do I need, Pastor? Here's how much righteousness you need. You need more righteousness than the most righteous. Well, that's not very encouraging, is it? It's impossible. Yeah, it is. With man, it is impossible. But with God, oh, but with God, all things are possible. These Pharisees had a unique type of righteousness. And these scribes had a very unique... They concocted their own righteousness. They had rituals and they had all this garb they would wear. And they had precepts and traditions. And they would sprinkle all that. Very routine, very professional. Kind of like you using some cheap perfume or cologne uh, to, to, to cover up your, your natural odor. It's not a part of you, but you use it to try to cover it up and really doesn't work. Right? And that's what they were doing on the outside. Outwardly... They looked like they had it all together. When you think about how much of this righteousness do we need, I want you to show you something in the Greek, okay? Are y'all just, are y'all just geeks for Greek? Man, I'm a geek for the Greek, I tell you. Huh? You're not getting excited about this like I'd hoped. I'd hoped you'd stand and applaud and shout, Greek! Geek for the Greek! Nothing, okay. Well, I'll enjoy this, you may not. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, when you see the word hunger and thirst in the New Testament, most of the time, m- the majority of the time, the direct object, like he's hungry for bread. Bread would be the direct object. That direct object is in what they call the genitive case, which means that he's hungry for part of bread. He's hungry uh, for of water or of bread. What does that mean? It simply means this, that you're hungry for a piece of bread or you're hungry for one sandwich, not all the sandwiches in the whole wide world. Or you're hungry for a eight ounce glass of water, not all the water in the whole wide world, right? So he's hungry for a meal or he's hung, or he, he's thirsty for a drink at the well, not the whole well, but a drink from the well kind of thing in the New Testament. Here, it's different. Jesus doesn't use the genitive case in the Greek. He uses the accusative case, which means all of it. He's not, what he's saying here is Jesus is not saying that he's hungering or that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a slice of bread. He's saying blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the whole loaf of bread. Or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a slice of pizza. No, they want the whole pizza. Right? Blessed are those, I don't want a six inch, I want a foot long. 
I don't want half and half, I want a whole. If Panera Bread would offer whole and whole instead of half and half, I wouldn't leave hungry. Right? I want the whole thing. So in the accusative case, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the whole righteousness of God, not part of it that will affect one area of your life. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the whole of his righteousness. It's going to affect every area of your life, the entire righteousness that only comes through the person of Christ. You can't have part of Jesus if you got all of them or none of him. You can't have part of the Holy Spirit, you got all of them or none of him. You're not partly pregnant, you're either pregnant or not pregnant. Right? I mean, you can't have part of Jesus and not all of him. And so, Jesus says, bless those who are hungry and thirst for the righteousness of God, all of it. So, who needs to see our righteousness? Like, who needs to see it? Well, Matthew 6, verse 1. Take your Bible, go to Matthew 6. Look at verse 1. Jesus, again, speaks of righteousness. And this is what he says here in Matthew 6, verse 1. It helps us understand who needs to witness our righteousness. Look at verse 6. Rather, chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. End of verse 4. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, who's to see your righteousness? God, not man. See, the Pharisees' problem, and they had a big problem. They lived it outwardly. They loved to pray out loud. They loved to take their coins and throw it at the temple, into that container that would ding, ling, 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 ling. They love for people to hear and see them giving and praying in public. They love that outward attention and reward and the praise of man. Kind of like that light. The reality is that although they were inviting people outwardly to see them and pay attention to them on the inside, dead, nothing. Wicked and vile. Kind of like that light in my pantry that's on all the time. It's on all the time. Now there's a switch. You can turn it off. But we've not learned how to turn off the light. So it's on all the time. And sometimes it'll be on. It's very inviting. You walk by. Oh, the light's on. There must be something in here. You walk in. There's no food in there. It's gone. Right? There's no food. The light's on. It's inviting. You come in. There's no food. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They had all this garb on. They're doing all this stuff publicly. Inviting people to pay attention to them and approach them and come to them and yet, and yet, empty, dead, nothing. So who needs to see our righteousness? Not man, but God. Boy, this is going to get somebody excited. I mean, this is really going to excite somebody. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Here's another opportunity that Jesus takes to teach about righteousness in Matthew 6, verse 33. When you think about Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's a good question. What is required of me, Pastor? If, if I'm going to attain this righteousness, what is required of me? I love Matthew 6, 33. But seek. Somebody say seek. Say it like you mean it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his what? Okay, and all these things will be added to you. Very similar to blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Kind of a parallel verse. If you hunger, if you long, if you crave, if you seek, then you'll be satisfied. All these things will be added to you. Very interesting. 
Very encouraging. This is a demanding beatitude. It's, it's frightening, but it's also in its own way so comforting. Because notice what the text says. Those who hunger and thirst for it. Those who seek it. Not those who achieve it. Not those who've attained. Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who have attained righteousness. Or blessed are those who find righteousness. Or blessed are those who have achieved righteousness. Oh no, he says blessed are those who want it. I mean, who hunger for it, who long for it, who crave for it. Blessed are those who want it. See, God is not playing hide and seek with you. He says, if you seek, you will find. This is a promise. God has made a promise that if you seek his rights, if you hunger for it and you thirst for it, you'll be satisfied. You're going to find it. Think about King David. We've been reading through the Psalms this year. At times, it's like, man, is, does David have a split personality? I mean, he says things like, God, you're my all. You're my fortress. You're my refuge. You're my strong tower. And then in another place you'll read, and he say, like a deer pants for water. Oh, God, my soul thirsts for you. Well, David, do you have him or do you not? Well, yeah, he's got him but he just wants more of him, right? He, he stays hungry for him. He continues to seek him. Hey, some of us are seeking righteousness. And if you are, let me tell you, you can never go wrong. So keep seeking, keep being hungry, keep praying, keep reading, keep studying, keep having gospel conversations, keep journaling, keep pursuing God, keep loving, leading, giving, serving, going. Keep it up! Number three. Oh, this is good here. My heavens, this is so good. In the last part of verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Look at this, church. For they shall be satisfied. Now, the word there means to be filled. It means, it means to experience an inward satisfaction in something or someone. So, again, this is a promise that Jesus is making. Say this with me. We seek, Jesus satisfies. See, our part is to seek. His part is to satisfy. We seek, say it with me, He satisfies. That's the formula. This isn't rocket science, right? How encouraging this is that we seek... And he's satisfied. Well, you, you raise a question, and it's a good question, and I know you're thinking it. Okay, pastor, well, answer me this. How can we trust that Jesus knows what it feels like to be hungry, knows what it feels like to be thirsty? How can we trust that Jesus can even sympathize with us? How can we trust that? Do you recall in Matthew 4, just before this chapter, as Jesus is beginning his ministry? He's just been baptized. He comes up out of that water, and he begins his ministry. You remember where he started his ministry? He didn't go heal somebody. He didn't go preach a sermon. He didn't go raise the dead. You know where he went? You know what he did? He went out into the wilderness. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he didn't eat anything. And the Bible says in Matthew 4, verse 2, you can look at it. And after fasting 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. I guess he was hungry. Yeah, Jesus knew what it meant to be hungry. On the cross, you remember what he said? 
At one point, Jesus says, I thirst. He, he knew what it meant to be thirsty. In fact, he lived his life that way on this earth. It was like he was in this paradigm of hungering and thirsting all the time. Like, like he longed and he craved. Like the Bible says, Jesus came to seek, to hunger, to long, to crave, and, and to save the lost. Like he hungered for you and he hungered for me. He cried out over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I longed, have I hungered, have I thirsted, have I craved to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you would not. He lived a life of being hungry and thirsting after you and after me. And then he was tempted in every way that you and I have been, yet he did it without sin. Jesus knows what it means to be hungry. In other words, you can trust him. When he says you'll be satisfied, you can trust him. Like he's been everywhere you've been and even more, and yet he's gone through it without sinning at all. You can trust him. You can trust him. Think about it like this. The late Stan Lee created, co-created, some of the most popular superheroes this world's ever seen, right? Iron Man, Spider-Man, the Hulk, X-Men, many others. And he had a very interesting approach, Stan Lee did. He wanted to approach these superheroes from the perspective that, hey, what if this was just an ordinary person who had to earn a living, right, whose girlfriend jilted him, right, who, who had to eat, got hungry and whatnot, a real human being that had a superhero aspect to them. In fact, I'm going to quote what he said in, in, a, in an interview several years ago. He said, the whole formula is this. Let's assume that somebody really could walk on walls like Spider-Man or turn green and become a monster like the Hulk. That's a given. We'll accept that. But accepting that, what would that person be like in the real world if he really existed? Right? What are the real problems people would have? And so that's how he kind of approached and wrote these books. He said that's why he thinks it's the most popular, because they had a human side to them. And since the year 2000, Stan Lee began to do something in these Avenger movies. He would have a cameo in every movie since 2000. In other words, the creator of this world of superheroes wrote himself into his own story. Like he wrote himself in. Well, he wasn't the first to do that. <laughs> Jesus, the creator of the universe, your creator and mine, has written himself into his own story. Into the redemptive story of man, Jesus has written himself in as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who has come to seek and save the lost. The one who will come and satisfy all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hey, the point is, you can trust him. He wrote himself into our own brokenness to set us free from our brokenness in him. Wow. I mean, this is Jesus, right? And he promises that he'll satisfy. Well, here's another question. How can we trust that Jesus alone satisfies? Because this is what he said at the end of verse 6. For they shall be satisfied. Okay, how can we trust that Jesus alone is the one who satisfies? Does Buddha not satisfy? Does religion not satisfy? Does pursuit of happiness not satisfy? Does the American dream not satisfy? How can we know that Jesus is the only one who satisfies? Well, the answer is right here in verse 6. 
It's powerful. And it's right here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does the last part of this verse say? For they shall be what, church? For they shall be what? I can't hear you. Y'all going to have to say it louder. For they shall be what? Satisfied. Okay, well, let's think about that for a minute. What does that assume about a person in their current state? If they shall be satisfied, what does that assume about them? That they're what? They're dissatisfied. They're unsatisfied. Jesus knows your heart is hungry. He knows that. You know why? Because he created to to be hungry and to hunger for him. Now, it's easy to create hunger. The world does that all the time. Dennis the Menace was reading a catalog, and he said, Man, this catalog has toys in it. I didn't even know I wanted it. Right? The world can create hunger. That's easy. Think about this. 1955 McDonald's. They offered one size drink. One size in 1955. Seven ounces. Seven ounces. Today, you can, they have a 42-ounce option. Six times larger. Why? Because we're not satisfied. We want more. And we want more. And hey, with the 42 ounce, do I get a refill? I better get a refill. Do I get refills? <laughs> On 42 ounces. Why? Because we're never satisfied. Never satisfied. So the world can easily create hunger. That's, advertisers do it all the time. That's a multi-billion dollar business. But only Jesus can satisfy the hunger that is created because he created it. Two brothers, they were fighting, screamed that they hate, I hate you. The other one said, I hate you too. And grandma said, well, I can't take two boys that hate each other to McDonald's. I can't do it. And the older said to the younger, well, I really don't hate you. And the younger looked at the older and said, I still hate you because I'm not hungry right now. (laughs) We all understand hunger and thirst and we all understand we're never satisfied. But here's what Jesus has to offer to you. I'm the way and the truth and the life. And when he says I'm the life, what he's saying to you and to me is I'm the satisfaction you've been trying to fill that void in your heart with all along. I am it. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to take you to where the bread is. Jesus said, I am the what? The bread of life. He doesn't say, I'm going to show you where it is. He said, I'm it. He says, I'm the door. I'm the true vine. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't say, I'll show you where it is. He says, I'm it. I am it. So you can never go wrong when you long for righteousness. Last Sunday, after the morning service, I had an opportunity to talk to many of you. Love visiting with y'all after the service. It just refreshes my heart. Uh, Even though I'm hungry, it refreshes my heart. (laughs) And last week, I was introduced to a couple. We were standing right over here last week, and... Before I tell you about our conversation, I did want to mention to you about how many of you influence this young family. Uh, Some of you, I think, well, Brian Eamon, I think, took them to a life group. They loved the life group they were in, made great connections there. There was a ministry, one of our ministries ministered to them, and that really blessed them. And so there's a lot of touches that you had on this family's life, a lot of touches. Uh, They had... Many testimonies of people in here that have really are a part of our church that have really touched their lives. 
And so we were sharing over here after the service. One of you took me introduced to. Another one of you said, hey, I, I work at my work. I see them all the time. And so there's a lot of connections. So I went to talk with them and listen to their salvation stories. And husband shared his testimony with me. And uh, they have two little girls that shared some, oh, I love the Lord, one of them said to me. And so I was just blessed talking to them and talked a little more. And, and, and I was getting ready to go. You know, we we'd had a good conversation and, and get ready to go eat because after three sermons, I'm pretty hungry. I don't know. I don't know. If you listen to three of them, you'd be really hungry if you listen to all three. And so I was, I was ready to go. And as I was walking away, she, she said, hey, could you pray for us? I said, yeah, I'd love to pray for you. How can I pray for you? She said, well, I'm really struggling with my faith. And so I said, well, well, tell me about that. And she began to talk to me about her faith and said, I want to know that I know that I'm saved. And I said, well, do you believe all, all, the, the gospel? And I shared that with her. She said, yes, I believe. I said, well, do you want to know right now? She said, yes, I want to know. And so right there, right here, she prayed to trust Christ as her Savior, right here. Like she was born again right here. Like right here. Yes, yes, that's good, clap, yeah, celebrate, yes. And I say that to you for this reason. Here's why I share that with you. Because here's what happens. Have, have you ever said, I'm not hungry? Somebody say, you want something to eat? What, what do you want me to order? Well, I'm not hungry. You don't have to order me anything. And then they order something and they start eating and you eat half of it. Because when you see them eating, it makes you hungry. That ever happened to anybody? You, see somebody, you watch somebody eat, it makes you hungry right? So I share that about this family because here's what they saw. They saw in you that you had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They saw that in you and it made them hungry. I'm telling you, when you walk in newness of life, when you walk with God, when you live in a manner worthy of the gospel, people are going to look at you and say, how are you calm in this storm? How do you have peace with all this mess going on? I'm hungry for what you have. What do you have? I'm hungry for that. Man, when you live in a manner worthy of the gospel and people see that, they get hungry. You stay hungry. Stay hungry for the Lord and it'll make other people hungry. And then they won't be able to get enough of it and it'll make their friends hungry and make their friends hungry. This is how we connect people to Jesus, one conversation at a time. We live it out daily. And it makes them hungry for more. So church, if I can encourage you in any way, as followers of Christ, if you say today, I know I'm saved, I know I'm following Jesus, I would encourage you, stay hungry. Pray that God would make you hunger and thirst for his righteousness every single day to put on the armor of God every day and to walk with him. If you're here today and maybe you've never tasted to see that the Lord is good, but today... You, you've got a halt of an aroma in your nostrils that smells pretty good, right? You, you might want to taste this thing called Christianity. You might have a, a hunger like, like in your stomach. I know your stomachs are growling because you're hungry. I can hear it. Right? So in your heart, there's a stirring and there's a hunger. And hey, something's different today, right? Something's different. Well, we're going to stand in a moment and everybody's going to stand up. And when we...